Welcome to Rewrite Radio, the podcast from the Festival of Faith and Writing. I'm Lisa Ann Cockrell, the director of the festival, and I'll be your host. This is the place you can listen back to conversations we've had with writers and readers as we celebrated the written word together for over two decades. In each episode, you'll hear a session that took place at the festival. It might be a reading, an interview, a lecture, panel conversation, or something else entirely. Today, we'll listen to Patricia and Alana Raybon's interview about writing their book, Undivided, A Muslim Daughter, Her Christian Mother, Their Path to Peace, at the 2016 Festival of Faith and Writing. Patricia and Alana discuss the truths, troubles, and triumphs of co-authoring when the collaborators are struggling not just to write a book, but to reconcile their deepest difference. Patricia Raybon is a journalist and the author of four books, including the memoirs I Told the Mountain to Move, a finalist for Christianity Today's 2006 Book of the Year, and My First White Friend, which won the Christopher Award. Alana Raybon, who converted to Islam in college, writes and teaches middle school in Tennessee. And to help introduce the Raybon session is Jana Reese, who did a wonderful job of interviewing the Raybons at the 2016 festival itself. Jana is a senior columnist for the Religion News Service, a veteran editor, and the author of several books, including Flunking Sainthood and The Twible. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Jana. Where did we catch you today? Oh, I'm just sitting at my desk uh, with my long to-do list of things that have to get done today. It's a nice break to talk to you. Oh, wonderful. Thanks so much. (laughs) Um, So how did you first uh, get introduced to the work of Patricia and Alana Raybon and what kind of what grabbed you about their their work? I listened to the audio book when the book first came out. I'm a big audio and I, I say it's reading. I know there's this raging debate whether you can say you actually read something if you listen to it on audio. And I mm-hmm. say absolutely you can. Good to know. Um, right. So I listened to it on audio, which uh, was was an interesting experience. And I think there were a few things that resonated with me in particular. The first is that it's that kind of classic mother-daughter relationship. I have a daughter who is you know, on the brink of adulthood and some of those issues of a a child asserting independence, making decisions that a parent may not necessarily share. I mean, in this case, it was a major life decision that um, Alana Raven decided to become a Muslim and Patricia, who's an evangelical Christian, has a really tough time accepting and understanding that. Another thing is that I am in an interfaith family myself. And so the, the kinds of tensions and discussions that they referenced really rang true with my experience maybe not now where everything has been settled for a really long time but when I first converted a lot of those issues were at the forefront and also I would say a third reason is just that we are living in a time when it is it has never been more important for Americans to understand Islam and Mm. to not demonize Muslims. And so just from that perspective alone, you you can learn so much about Islam just from the lived experience that's described here. There is, as Alana is trying to teach her mother about her experience of Islam and about what she loves about the Quran, you, you learn those things too. And it's mm. a wonderful way to be invited into another worldview in a way that is, um, I found quite lovely and and friendly, you know, very, very accessible. 
I want to talk a little bit about the writing piece of this that Patricia mentioned, which was that dynamic of, of the energy and where you spend your energy when you're working on a writing project. Um, but when you're writing a book, how much do you talk about that book with people? How much do you, you kind of talk through the ideas while you're actually in the process of writing? So me personally, or the advice that I give to authors generally, which is not the same. Do you practice what you preach? No. Maybe, maybe tell us tell us what you tell people, and then tell us what you actually do. Okay, so I I really strongly encourage people to share their writing as they go, mm. and uh, to be, you know, as public as they feel comfortable with, to show it not only to the people that they know are going to be supportive you know, their family and friends, but also to people who are capable of having a professional opinion and capable of giving constructive criticism that is specific and that is actionable. Um, in my own life, I try to follow that advice, and I am in a writing group, but at this point, honestly, after nine years, we have become such strong, good friends. I worry we're no longer <laughs> capable of ripping each other apart um, because we just we kind of finish each other's sentences now. That um, so it's it's just important. It's important to get other people's feedback, and also being part of a writing group gives you a deadline. Sometimes when you're you're stuck in the morass of a project and you kind of don't know. Where to go next, if you bring something that's very quarter-baked to your writing group and then they say, oh, this is a really good part, and then you go home and you think, oh, well, that's the part that I'll work on next, and suddenly that what seems like a mountain to climb is only a hill and you can move forward. Um, sometimes I, I'm a perfectionist, and so I have to struggle against that tendency in my nature to hold something back until I feel like it's really good to not show it to other people until I think it's truly ready. But that's not the point <laughs> of the process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm much better about this now than I was 10 years ago of just, you know, showing something to people and saying, well, here it is. And I'm just right in the middle of, of this icky, messy project. What do you think? Uh, than I used to be. I, I used to want to just hoard that a little bit for myself until I felt confident that it was pretty close to perfect. And, you know, that's just not a way to grow as a writer. Well, thanks so much for taking the time out of your busy day to talk with us. Well, I'll cross this off that long to-do list of things that I have to do today. <laughs> yes. Well, I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, Lisa. Bye-bye. And now, here's Patricia and Alana Raybon on Torn by Faith, Healed by Writing at the 2016 Festival of Faith in Writing. My name is Gianna Reese, and I'll be the moderator today. Uh, Patricia has asked if we could have a little bit less of a formal kind of Q&A. I have some questions here that I'll start, but if at any point you would like to ask them a question, I think we would be open to that so that you don't have to hold everything until the very end. Now, you've already talked a little bit in the clip here about how you responded, Patricia, when you found out about Alana. Could you describe a bit of your religious background that created the expectation that you would be raising a Christian daughter? And then, Alana, I'd love for you to respond about what it was like to make that phone call to your mom. <laughs> um, like a lot of people, well, 
before I say that, I want to say welcome to everybody. Um, I am very honored, as I know Alana is, to be here in the chapel having this conversation. I, um, I know we could have been in the downstairs, or upstairs, I think it is in, or over in the commons, in one of the lecture halls or in a classroom, but um, to be here in this sacred space um, really uh, is uh, significant for me. And um, I thank you for, to Calvin, if there's anybody here from the college, for the invitation, but for all of us gathering here. Um, and I say that, uh, Jana, because like a lot of people here, I grew up on a pew. And, and are there, is there anybody in here who gets that? <laughs> um, I am a member of the AME Church now, but um, I grew up in the CME Church. Um, the AME Church, of course, is the African Methodist Episcopal Church. The CME Church is the Christian Methodist Episcopal Church. But some of you may know this, that uh, originally it was the colored Methodist Episcopal Church. That's what the C stood for. And that's significant for me because um, I grew up in the Jim Crow 50s. And the church, I was telling um, Jennifer, the co-director of the Center for Faith and Writing about this, the church for my family and for me was truly, excuse me, truly a harbor, a sanctuary. It was the safe place I could be. And, um, and I loved being there. And we were a family who were there, which is a good thing, because we were at church all the time. Uh, not just Sunday, but um, some people here remember this. There was Sunday service, then you'd go back for um, Sunday evening service. And then on Monday nights, my dad would go to um, a trustee meeting or something like that. Wednesday night was prayer service. Uh, they used to call it prayer meeting. And then on Friday nights, we'd go to youth, whatever the youth activity was. And on Saturday was junior choir rehearsal. And um, I think I heard somebody sigh. <laughs> Vacation Bible school. And, you know, it's just what we did. And we loved it. And, um, and at, at the knee of my Sunday school teachers, I learned the, the narrative, the stories of Jesus and um, he loved us. Oh, how I love Jesus. And we sang that. And, um, and so I tried to recreate that experience for my daughters. And uh, we went a lot, right? <laughs> they went a lot. Alana was baptized in the AME church. And um, so it was a surprise. Um, in many ways to get that call. So, yes, it was, it was a surprise. And um, for me, growing up in the AME Church was a wonderful place, too. Um, it was so welcoming and loving. Um, can I hear my mic? Uh, it was a place where everybody knew my name. All of the elders treated me like I was their granddaughter. Um, and so it was, it was a really loving place, and I think it is the place where I did first begin to know God and learn to love God. 
And so I enjoyed being there, but I had a difficult time connecting with the idea of the Trinity. And so I struggled with that because I didn't feel that I could share it. And it wasn't because it wasn't a safe space, but I just didn't know how to say that because everybody else was so um, wholeheartedly... Sold out. Yes. (laughs) They were so um, excited. And oftentimes during the service, you know, people would come forward and they would accept the church. And I was waiting for that feeling. And so I kind of kept that to myself. I didn't talk to mom about that. Um, But I still did love being there. And I loved the feeling of community. Um, And so when people ask... You know, I'm sorry, my, my shiny scarf is causing all of the mic problems, so <laughs> apologize about that. Um, when people ask, you know, did, if, if I left Christianity, it felt more to me like I always knew God and I always loved God, but I found a different way to connect with God. And so I don't really feel like I left, but more like I joined in my own way. Um, but it was, it was very, very hard for our family because, as Mom mentioned, the church was the core. And so me separating myself from that was, in, in essence, separating myself from the family in a way. Mm-hmm. So. so making that phone call, take us back to that day. I was in my dorm room and just waiting for the time to talk to her. I had called other people that were in my life at that time, other people who were also going through something similar to, to me. You know, growing up as an African-American, um, I was very familiar with the Nation of Islam just from the, the narrative about civil rights. And so I had first started through that pathway um, and I was drawn to just a more traditional view of Islam. And so I just kind of decided to go completely Orthodox, and so I just called her up and I said, "Mom, I've decided to come, you know, to just practice, you know, mainstream Islam." Um, and that was basically it. The conversation just kind of was quiet on her end. <laughs> it was a bit, it was a little awkward actually, <laughs> but I was relieved on my end because I didn't really want to talk about it. <laughs> I just wanted to tell her and get that over with. Um, so we just basically hung up. And I went, went, went on with my life. I didn't realize, though, that I had just completely told her some really, really major news that was very devastating. <laughs> I don't think I realized the impact it would have on our relationship. In the book, um, Patricia, you talk about wanting, for example, to give Easter dresses you know, to your granddaughters or you know, celebrate these holidays and that it's hard for you that that can't happen or, or it would happen differently. What is it like on a day-to-day basis to negotiate the differences in faith in love? I know you went through a long period where you know, it was the elephant of the room and nobody was talking about it, even though you were not estranged from each other. You were not able to talk about this. And so how did you begin to bridge those divides? Well, we became um, a family like many families um, in that um, we looked cohesive, but we were not talking and speaking about things that needed to be said. 
And so, does anybody else in here like, you know? <laughs> I know. Um, you know, so we uh, found a neutral holiday. Uh, Thanksgiving is our um, a really great holiday for us because <laughs> there's no real uh, strong faith element. And so we could sit around a Thanksgiving table and, um, and have all the, the right foods and, and say all the right things, except we're not saying the thing that's tearing everybody apart. And, um, you know, the, um, the uh, sadness of that became for me a place of mourning. I was looking last night um, again at the um, Kubler-Ross stages of grief, and um, I went through all of them. Um, the first one's denial, and then there's anger. Um, so Lilana called. You know, I just, I think I said something like, oh, uh, thanks for calling. How's your car running? You know? <laughs> she had, Dan, my husband had bought her a, a used Honda. She drove up to campus. And, so I had, you know, the stages are deni- uh, denial and then anger. Um, and then the, uh, and I was angry. And I was angry, um, my friends, because um, life is hard anyway. And I had, um, as, as an African-American, I had already um, spent so much of my life working through um, the challenge of being different in the world. And, you know, I'd, I'd written a book about it and, you know, talked about it. And, um, and then Alana calls and says, and I'm, I'm going to be a Muslim. And I just remember, like, I don't, dear God, this was not on the list. <laughs> I don't want, um, and so um, that third stage in that Kubler-Ross um, dynamic is bargaining. You know, if I can, um, what can I do to reconfigure, bring my family back together? But there was no, there wasn't anything I could do. And so that fourth of the five stages is depression. And I was, I was very sad. I, I, um, I did, I, you know, I dragged myself through the mall looking at Christmas toys and, or Easter dresses or whatever, you know, and just piling it on. Oh, I can't, oh, 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 woe is me. And, um, and then finally you get to acceptance. And I, I said that all in about a, a minute, but I'll tell you that it took a long, long time. <laughs> sure. Um, well, the interesting, the interesting part of this, Mom, is mm-hmm. I'm just learning this about you now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I knew you were sad, but I had no idea there were so many layers to it. <laughs> yeah. And um, so, you know, I guess what I'd like to share with everyone here is just, there was a point when we were writing the book where I started to feel really guilty because I did learn that she was so grief-stricken, and I just felt so bad. I felt really responsible. And I took it on, upon myself, and I you know, was thinking, gosh, look what I have done to her, um, it really, it really hit me hard. It was a moment where I finally realized that parents have feelings, <laughs> 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 and that, um, 
and 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 that was you know that was really huge for me. I just I felt really guilty for a while, and um, I didn't really know how to process that. But I kind of started by um, you know letting her know that I cared that cared about how she was feeling, mm-hmm. and that I wasn't going to let her think that I just um, you know that it wasn't important to me. But um, but yes, the process did take a long time, and I. And I think we both went through it. I went through a, a period of denial as well, or maybe stubbornness. Like, I was very honorary. I just felt like, you know, I, this is my right. And, and you don't really have a say in it, and how dare you make me feel bad for choosing something different. Um, I went through a lot of that. Then I went through, well, now I have to prove to you why I think what I'm doing is right. And that was probably... Now, looking back, the most naive stage that I went through, you know, you know, I'm a little embarrassed to admit that I was, you know, looking through verses and trying to prove to her and all of this ridiculousness. And then, you know, and then I kind of decided to just step back from it all, and I was in complete avoidance mode. Um, and my husband is very, he, he doesn't like to small talk, and so when they would come over, he would bring up some, like, political topic, and then they would get into, like, the religious nature of it, and I would just, like, leave the room. <laughs> like, I am not even going to go there. And so I went through a lot of just, I don't even want to be around it, I don't want to discuss it, I'm just going to live my life. But the awkwardness of it was... You know, for people of faith, and I'm sure many people in here can agree, you can't be a person of faith and not express your faith in many parts of your life. So, you know, with prayer or with other things we were doing, there was this awkwardness because I was doing these things in front of her. And so I was always looking over at her, what is she thinking right now while I'm praying or what, you know. Um, if they were there during Ramadan, you know, that was very awkward and it was so uncomfortable. Um, so it really took me a while to get to a point where I was ready to talk to her about it without the anger and the, you know, trying to point fingers and trying to prove that she was wrong. It took about 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) I like the honesty of that. So... The book, writing the book, you say, is a big part of the healing process. And so since everybody here, I think, is interested in writing and the process that that might bring out new things in your understanding. So if you could talk about that. And also, the book is kind of epistolary so that you are sharing emails back and forth with each other. And it feels like it's, it's unfolding in real time, which is one of the neat things. And I'd love to hear you talk about the decision artistically to do it that way. Well, it's interesting. Our agent is here today, Anne Spangler. Some of you may know Anne as an author. Where's Anne? Right here. And um, um, Anne um, shared with us a book that was written by... Um, a Muslim woman, a Christian woman, and a Jewish woman called um, the the Faith Club, right? Um, and um, suggested that that structure might work for us. And if you've read the Faith Club, which became a, a bestseller, the the women in the book each speaks 
separately, and I think even the fonts for the voices are different, so it helps you know who's speaking when. And, um, and that was very helpful, Jana, from a writing standpoint, to put some structure on it. So we weren't just um, really flying blind. Um, and so I, I'm happy to acknowledge Ann and uh, Spangler and thank her today for that recommendation. But then we started, and we couldn't get started. We could not even write the chapter titles without arguing. <laughs> because, you know, we we're working on our book proposal, and, um, and we wrote the proposal statements. But then, in the format of the book, so I, I wrote my part and Alana wrote hers. And then we had to show our pr proposal to a publisher how we would work through the topic. And even the, t even the chapter titles were points of contention for us. Um, you know, um, and I should have brought some examples today to show you, to share you, tell you what I mean. But I'll say it this way. Um, as a Christian, we speak in Christianese. <laughs> and so there, there was some of that in the language of the titles, some of that in the, you know, as we sort of got started. And that was feeling very offensive to Alana. And so I would have to back up and surrender that, and we'd have to negotiate that again. And, um, um, and you know, we only had so much. We had a year, I think, in the contract to write the book. And six months went by, and we were still you know, working on those kind of details. So I say to people, it was the hardest book I ever wrote because we were writing in real time, and we were having to negotiate every step of the way. Yes, thank you. No. <laughs> Um, it, the funny thing about that was the first chapter, I think, is Can We Talk, right, Mom? <laughs> so I kept calling her, and I was like, well, don't we need to talk before we write about what we talked about? <laughs> and she was like, yeah. And so I was like, well, when are we going to talk? You know? And then she said, you know, well, when are, you know, can you look in your schedule? And, I'm, and I was thinking... We're trying to schedule a time to talk, and I, it was so funny. And so we couldn't even we couldn't even talk. So finally, we did. You want to add to my mom? Well, um, I'll say this. Um, here's some writing context for that. Um, when you're writing memoir style or journal style, part of as a, a lot of all of you know in here, part of the discovery is in the writing and I so in my mind everybody I was thinking if we talk this out just like we're talking when we get to, and you know how this works when you get to the writing you've already given all the energy of it and I was uh, really um, cautious about that and so I was saying you know we'll we'll talk as we write and um, in hindsight Alana made a very good point. I think the, we would have served the book better if we had done some of that real talking first. Well, I think but that was a really, that was the turning point, though, for, for getting it started was also me realizing that that was the process, that we were going to talk through the writing. Mm -hmm. So I didn't realize that at first. 
And so I think also because of the frustration I had with my adolescence, and we really didn't talk about really deep things, things of the heart, you know, because we did argue a lot as a, um, when I was a teenager, and I'm, it had nothing to do with me. <laughs> but we did have a history of just not talking. We had a history, so, yeah. Um, so it took me a while to realize, oh, we are talking on paper. And mm-hmm. so, so the thing mm-hmm. is, mom was my, she was, we were like in counseling, but she was also my writing coach. <laughs> and so what, I was amazed that she was able to separate herself from the situation and say, okay, Alana, this is how you need to approach this writing project. You know, you are actually writing down through memoir in a way as if you're talking to me, what you'd like for me to know. And so that was really, oh, okay. And so it was great because finally I got to say everything I needed to say (laughs) without having to worry about what she was going to say next. And that was liberating, just knowing that she was reading every word on the page. Um, So once we got through that hurdle, (laughs) things started to move a lot quicker and we were able to really cover some some ground and really learn a lot about each other. One observation and one question, and then I'd like to open it up, because I I said at the beginning that I was going to take questions throughout, and I didn't do that. (laughs) Okay, so the observation is that the way that, that writing itself helped you resolve, or not resolve maybe, but at least discuss openly this difference, I think is a very beautiful thing. And I would also say, that even though there's this, as a parent, you know, this always deep disappointment when your children make very different choices than yours, but your daughter, you're, you're grooming her into being a writer, you know? Even despite your religious differences, there is also this sense in which you, you still are such a profound influence over her life. It's mm-hmm. really beautiful to me. Um, so the question, though, both of you have spoken about race and being African-American. And when I read this book, I actually listened to it as an audible through the wonderful audible app both of the actresses that were hired to play you are white what is that about <laughs> yeah <laughs> the funny thing about that you know when we heard the voices it was so funny cuz i was i was thinking she just doesn't sound like me it just sounded so strange to hear someone talking about my life from the first person like that um, it was very odd but, you know, I guess they get who they get, who's talented and everything. <laughs> you know, um, you, you pick your battles. And in publishing, um, that was a fight I decided to relinquish. And I've had to def- um, defend that because people ask me all the time, why didn't you demand that they use African-American voices? Uh, or you, or record you yourselves, and um, in the course of life and the, all the things we were trying to do and get the book finished and um, work with our publicist, and I just took that off my list, and um, and and I did not look back, and and so Jana, I'm if if there's another opportunity for. Um, a book that I write, in, in my own case, to be re- recorded for Audible, then I can, I think I'll be more ready. But I had taken on all the fights I could take. 
And I, yeah. was, I just was not ready to take on that one. Yeah, I understand the, the, the sense of kind of stepping back and saying, well, this is probably not the, not the hill I want to die on right now right. with my publishing house. But you shouldn't have been put in the position of having to make that choice. You know, it, it strikes me as a, a tone deafness on the part of the people who made that decision. So, okay, I'm done. Did you, did you write yeah. that letter? <laughs> well, I, we can talk later about <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> but I'd love to open it I up now that to, to questions. And, and I would say that as you do, I think that because this is such a touching memoir and a very moving autobiographical story, all of us are tempted to connect it to our own stories. I mean, I'm from an interfaith family myself, and when I read the book, I had a lot of points of connection. But when you ask your question, please keep it as a question and not your memoir. (laughs) Yes. Hi, Lisa here. I'm breaking in to let you know that we got a lot of great questions for Patricia and Alana, but they're hard to hear because they weren't mic'd. So I'm going to reiterate the questions as we go. First up, a question for Alana. What is the story of your journey moving from accepting Jesus as the three-in-one God to accepting him as a prophet? Thank you for the question. That's actually the first time I've been asked a question like as unique as that one. So thank you for it. Um, so as growing up in the church, I you know I learned to love Jesus. I mean, Jesus was a rock star. He was amazing, and he was the answer to every problem presented in church. And I really, I really, um, I'm glad that I developed a love for Jesus. And what I what I what I felt though, I always felt that you know, the oneness of God. And I always saw God as being, like, I guess you could say, um, one and not separated into different parts. And so um, I I never really saw the Trinity. I never really, you know, I never really saw that it was in any way how I saw God. And so, but as I mentioned earlier, I didn't share that. And so even when I spoke about Jesus or learned about Jesus in church, I still sort of saw him as a person. Um, hmm. Looking back in hindsight, you know, with my, in my, in my child's mind then, I think I still sort of did see him as a person. And so, but sort of like a holy person. Um, and so now as a Muslim um, and looking at Jesus now, Again, I see him sort of in a similar way as a person chosen by God that has all of these divine abilities, that has led people to being saved, that has led people, that has um, helped save people. And so, in essence, I still have him on a pedestal, but it's not the same pedestal that I would place God. And so, you know, um, that was really hard. That's the. That was like the point. Yeah. <laughs> that was like the hardest thing between mom and I. Mm-hmm. Um, and all I would I would try to I would try to express I love Jesus so much, but I just can't. And I had to say to her, I have to be honest with myself. I can't lie to myself. And I think I got to a point where I just had to just be hammer that down. I under I, I tried as I learned more about her point of view. I really felt like I understood it more. I probably felt like I could I could explain the Christian view of Jesus and the Trinity very well to someone who maybe didn't know about it. You know, someone from another mm-hmm. faith. I probably could explain it very well to them, but I just could not accept or see God in that way. Um, but as a prophet, you know, for Muslims, Jesus is a very revered prophet, and many Muslim women are named Mary 
in Arabic, Maryam. And so, like, Jesus and Mary and the story, the story of Jesus is one of the most widely discussed stories and one of the most widely used stories for inspiration about how to treat others and how to forgive others and also as a model for women. Mary's, like, considered a really important model for women. Um, but, again, you know, that's a really excellent question, but I think that is really the fundamental, probably most, most fundamental difference between the two faiths. <laughs> Yes. The next question is, how have you navigated your religious differences within the context of your relationships with your children and grandchildren? Thank you. I appreciate the question. Um, and I would answer it this way. What's happened in our journey is that uh, the Lord has shown me uh, that there's a, a bigger story uh, and has helped me to hear um, where we were struggling. Alana was not asking me to, um, after a while, not asking me to accept Islam. She was asking me to respect the choice that she had made. I'm, I'm going to get to your question, but if you allow me to say this. And so um, I looked at two words, um, everybody. I looked at the word respect and um, the Latin word form for that means to see again, to look again, respect. And so Alana was asking, and so I, I thought, if I look again at Alana, I see an amazing um, wife and mom, she's an excellent school te teacher, a good, great, good citizen, a great friend, um, um, Wonderful, like her dad, a great people person. And I, was, I felt that the Lord was inviting me to engage with all those parts of her and not worry so much about the faith business. And so when I do that, then I get to be a grandmother. And, um, and that matters because if we look at the word relate, um, the Latin of that means to, means to bear or to carry. And, and so relationships are, are, they take work. And since they, um, you know, you have to um, um, bear them up. And bearing them up means doing the, doing the, uh, the things of, that have light in them and, and good things. And again, when I try to do those things, then um, I really can release um, wanting to sit and uh, have my children, my grandchildren, settled around the Christmas tree singing Silent Night. That ha hasn't hap isn't happening, and it may never happen. But the, uh, the Lord has shown me, look at, if you can put your eyes on all the other beauty of the world, um, you'll be um, not only a good mom, a good grandmother, a good wife, uh, you'll be a good friend to these, uh, all of you who came today. And I, think, here, and I think the world is waiting for Christians to, be, to bear witness like that. We are just, um, you know, we've been, don't listen to this, Lana. We've just been these fighting, you know, 
uh, angry um, people, you know, and saying no people and blaming, shaking our fingers at people. And, and uh, the Lord is saying, what if you let that go? How does that feel? Oh, that feels good. <laughs> and I think the world really would, um, would enjoy seeing that in us. So, uh, you know, we're, your question is so important because when we finished the book, we really hadn't addressed that. You know, it's like we worked a lot out with ourselves, but with everybody else in the family. <laughs> That's like book number two. <laughs> and so um, as a mother, at first I was like, well, I'm going to have to like explain to the kids that mom's a Christian and we're Muslims and then you know, they do this and we do this. And I was trying to figure out how to go about this. And my husband was concerned that they would try to influence our kids and maybe not indirectly. And it was like, we were looking at it in, from a problem perspective mm -hmm. instead of a solution perspective. And so I started to think to myself, you know, as especially moving from Houston to Tennessee, we recently did that where we are, Muslims are a minority of, um, and it's the Bible Belt, and we're surrounded by churches, and my husband and I go to churches a lot, and my daughter is at a at school with a lot of Christians, and so just the change in atmosphere really helped me to kind of say, to think about it this way. You know, my, I want my children to see my parents as people who love God, and not necessarily as people who are different from us because of this walk of life versus our walk of life. And so if I look at it like that, then it becomes like an embracing of an embracement of perspective versus oh they're different from us and they believe different things and do different um, practices during this time of the year. Um, but again, you know, I haven't figured that out yet. I haven't figured out. My kids are still very young, but I'm kind of taking that approach because I know I noticed that when I discuss um, things that grandma and grandpa do with the kids from that point of view, it makes that my kids feel happy that they know that their parents, grandparents love God. Um, and it makes me feel good too, so. <laughs> yeah. Can I share one thing about this? Um, and I know our time's almost over. I had, I've never said this to the audience, but um, um, Alana's, the, well, I'm the, in my, Alana's family, I'm the brown person. I'm the person that has brown skin. Uh, Alana's husband is biracial. He's, um, his mom is Latina. And his dad was actually raised a, a Mormon. And, um, and so their children are very light skin. And, um, and so one day, Alana's daughter, who has who turned eight tomorrow, her birthday's tomorrow, she said to me, Grandma, why are you... Why are, you, why are you dark? Why are you brown? I think she said, why are you brown? And, um, and she asked me that several visits, because we visit a lot. And finally I said, God made me that way. And she said, you mean Allah? And I, <laughs> she said, you mean Allah? And I said, yes. And she never asked me again. And we, you know, it just was, uh, at, for her age, it was the information that she needed. And it was, um, 
very uh, comforting to her. And I guess that's the essence of, now that I think I'm talking about it, of interfaith family. Uh, you can kind of roll with that. Um, and we, Alana and I discovered that um, peace, peacemaking, is not this destination you get to and then everything's fixed. It's a choice. Peace is a choice. And you get up every day and choose to get along with the people in your, um, in this circle that, that God has given you. And um, sometimes you um, make mistakes, but then you, you know you can get back to it the next day and try again. And it's very, um, it's been very, um, it's, there's been much grace in, in walking in that way. And there's a question right behind you. Yes. The next question is, do you believe you worship the same God? I decided that um, I could get stuck in the weeds of that theological debate. And, um, or, I could love my family. And that's where I sit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sit. <laughs> and I think also, um, for me, also just like the idea, I guess because I feel like there is one God and that people just see him in a different, different way and so I guess for me, the answer would be yes, but we just see it in a different way. But again, is it really, does it really matter? Does that conversation really matter? Because when it, when it comes down to it, people make decisions based on you know, how they feel in their heart. And that debate takes away from the reality of life, which is, you know, as human beings, are we serving the God that we say we do? And what are we doing? How are we serving him? in our daily lives. That's more important than the debate. Question in the back. The next question is, did either of you feel pressure from your respective religious communities to not accept one another? Pressure to argue and to try to convert each other? My husband was talking about this yesterday. There are a lot of ways to be. And um, I'm not so much an activist. I know I um, respond to the call for social for justice as it plays out in the AME church. I do that work as a writer uh, in the writing ministry through my church. And, um, but I really try not to get um, involved in arguments. And, and I ask God to show me, um, um, as I said, a bigger story. And this, is gonna, this will take us way out in another place. But um, I'll share this with you. I live in Colorado. I grew up in Colorado. And when we wake up in the morning, um, before the sun comes up, we can hear the birds, the bird song, you know, outside our window. And this time of year, we hear the, uh, the morning doves, and if you know that call, and, um, you know, and then they're robin redbreast and um, uh, different birds out in, in our yard. And... Um, and so there's that scripture that talks about the um, Jesus coming up out of the water and the spirit of the uh, Holy Ghost, the, spirit of the, the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And so 
When I look out in the morning, Jenna, at the, at the morning doves, they are up at the highest point in the trees. I think maybe they're looking for hawks or, you know, uh, doing what they're doing in the morning. But then, you guys, when they descend, they, you know, they're kind of gray birds, but when they descend, they spread their wings, and this, then the white under the wings shows, and, and it's just beauty. And they come down, you know, I have, we have um, evergreen trees and cottonwoods and stuff in the backyard, and they descend, and it's just beauty. And so the fighting and stuff is not beauty. And um, I'm really wanting, and so I ask, and if I fight with my daughter, I miss seeing stuff like that. I forget to see stuff like that. And, um, and so there's a lot of politics in the AME church and in all the churches and, and a, lo a lot of talking and all of that. And, um, but I, I, I ask God to... Um, uh, quiet that for me so I can see this beauty. And, um, you know, to the student's question, I believe that Jesus is uh, God with us, Emmanuel, uh, God in the flesh, Our, my friend. Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. Am I going to stay in arguments with Alana about that? Or come to Calvin and have a good time with you guys? <laughs> That's the choice. That is a choice. No, it's a really good question, I think, mm -hmm. for, like, from a Muslim's point of view, because many people maybe haven't heard, what do Muslims think about this book or our journey from, we, there was such an overwhelming, finally, a Muslim was able to share her experience in an interfaith relationship um, sorry, relationship, um, family in a, um, in a mainstream platform. That, that was the response I got from people. Oh my gosh, finally we were able to have a voice. I mean, people were just really, really enthusiastic about it. But the funny thing is I occasionally blog on this um, site, muslimmatters.org, and um, I get so much positive feedback. You know, very similar to what mom was saying about, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. This is beautiful. We're so happy about your journey. You know, thank you for sharing. And every now and then, of course, everyone gets this on blogs, right? There's like a troll, you know, and they're like, no, this, you know, you shouldn't, you should be pushing for convert, converting her and like, you know, like this is bad and stuff like that. So every now and then I get a little of that. But just the oh, being from Houston, we were there a year ago, and there's so many Muslims in Houston. Just it was just this overwhelming support and excitement about what was going to come next and how this was going to open the door for discussions between different faith groups. We have time for just one more very fast question. Yes, here in the front row. The final question: What do each of you pray about? Yeah. So. Um, <clears throat> Well, I pray for a lot of things when I sit down and I think about life. Um, there's a lot on my mind. My children, my students, my parents. My, but I don't, what I don't pray for is for conversion of her. I don't pray for that. Mm -hmm. Because I believe that 
our hearts are in God's hands and we walk how he wants us to walk. And I don't, I'm not here to judge or to condemn. And so instead I think more about myself and things that I can do to improve myself, things that I want to atone for. Um, and you know, I, th I might've done a little bit of that in the very beginning, this phase when I was in where I was the pointing finger phase and trying to con change her mind. But I got over that because that was just, that was a big waste. And you know, like Michael Jackson said, I had to look at the man in the mirror. <laughs> and I just really, you know, just looking at myself a lot is what I normally focus on. Well, I do pray for conversion. I, um, I pray for um, Alana to have a saving knowledge of who Jesus is. But I don't have to burden her with that. And so um, I really like that, you know, that I can take my burdens to the cross and leave them there. Uh, Alana knows that's my prayer. I want um, a cohesive family. I do. I want, those, I want the grandchildren around the Christmas tree. Um, but um, more than all, um, I want to be pleasing to the Lord. And so um, I take those prayers to him. And when I leave him there, he sends me back out into the vineyard and, uh, and says, okay, I, I hear you. Now here's some other work to go do. <laughs> Special thanks to Patricia and Alana Rabon. You can learn more about each of them and their writing at patricia.rabon.com and alanarabon.com. Thanks also to Jana Reese. Her website is janareese.com. Rewrite Radio is recorded at the Festival of Faith and Writing on the campus of Calvin College and produced by the Calvin Center for Faith and Writing. Our team includes Sarah Bass, John Brown, Sadie Berger, Donald Hedinga, Lou Klatt, Scott Jose, Jennifer Holberg, Bob Hudson, Annika Kaptine, Carolyn Meitskins, Deb Reinstra, Sarah Turnage, Debbie Visser, and James Wart. You can learn more about the Festival of Faith and Writing at festival.calvin.edu. And if you're into the social media, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what we're doing here on Rewrite Radio, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps other people discover the show, and we are so grateful. Also, we've got 26 years of festival recordings to explore here on Rewrite Radio. And if you've been at some of these festivals and have a favorite session or two that you're especially excited to hear on this podcast, just shoot me an email at ffw.calvin.edu and tell me about them. Just put Rewrite Radio in the subject line. Thanks for listening to Rewrite Radio. I'm Lisa Ann Cockrell, back soon with more from the Festival of Faith and Writing.